0: Hey everyone, Sam Calder here, and you're listening to the MLOPS Weekly Podcast. Today I'm speaking of Sahil, who's the co-founder and CEO of Encrypt AI. He's a PhD in applied mathematics from Yale. And before starting Encrypt AI, he led the AI team at a startup that developed and deployed AI models for major clients, including the Department of Defense. His vision for Encrypt AI stemmed from his desire to bridge the gap between enterprise data and AI models, focusing on creating software that addresses compliance, security, and governance in enterprise AI deployments. Hey, Seo. It's great to have you today.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: I'd love to get started by learning more about your journey. We gave a bit of an introduction on you, but I'm always really interested in learning, especially people who went far in academia, who kind of then transitioned into industry, and in your case, being a founder. I'd love to hear your story, learn more about that transition. Of course.
1: So my background is in mastering and science. I was in academia for almost a decade. I Did my PhD in applied maths, uh, where I was developing data algorithms, where my focus was more on astrophysics, geophysics, not necessarily the work that we're doing today. But it's still, it's still the work. My PhD work essentially allowed me to transition to the field of machine learning, especially in security, privacy, looking at noise characteristics. How can we enable privacy-preserving machine learning? How can we enable security for anyone who wants to use these, these technologies. So after I graduated, I worked at a very stage startup leading their AI team. That's where I got to work with large enterprises, including Department of Defense, Warner Music, JP Morgan, financial services institutions. That's where we saw the problem, where one party has all the valuable data, and especially today, data is the new gold. And these like early stage startups or model providers who are building these models have the models to analyze that data. So what we're seeing with LLMs, our take is that while data is a new goal, models themselves are becoming the digital crown jewel of uh, model providers as well as enterprises who want to use these models to improve productivity efficiency in many different areas. So the point is, how do we secure that transaction where companies are bringing together their sensitive data and machine learning models and LLMs, like especially LLMs itself. That's where we started Encrypt last year.
0: Before we go any further, just because we've kind of started talking about what you're working there, maybe you can give maybe like a quick elevator pitch for those who don't know. What is Encrypt?
1: So Encrypt is an AI visibility and security platform provides enterprises with complete view of all AI assets across the enterprise so that they can use these models responsibly, securely, and in a compliant manner. So our technology allows all of these different challenges on security, privacy, and compliance to be solved in a single manner. And this effectively, this also enables external model providers to do private deployments of their models within enterprise environments where they can protect their IP, they can manage license and effectively monetize their models as well. The same software is opening up new revenue streams for model providers as well.
0: So I want to unpack some of the things that you've kind of laid out just because I think that there's lots of nuance around the different types of, like for example, one statement you made is that data is new gold which I've heard a lot of her data is new gold data is new oil, like pick a commodity data is that now. There was even this time where it, there was like this huge focus on data moats, like the data is your moat and there was a lot of startups that were kind of funded on this premise. My sense is that that idea of like the data as a moat has definitely is no longer I think just obvious and clear. I think it's in practice, it's a little more nuanced and complicated. When you say things like data is the new gold, um, what does that mean beyond like data is obviously valuable? Like where where are you seeing that come true, and is there counterexamples? Are there places where you actually feel like there's more value to data than places where maybe there isn't?
1: Uh, yeah. So uh, some of the, some of the examples is when you're looking at foundation models, which are very generic. Uh, any specific data point by itself is not as valuable in itself, right? And these foundation models uh, are being used for very generic tasks itself where there's no specificity in itself. Uh, but uh, what we're seeing in enterprises is models being used for very specific tasks to solve very specific uh, needs. If you're using in finance, if you're using in uh, a product uh to do a very specific task, right? So there, um, a lot of enterprises are fine-tuning these models. And you see this being provided both from uh, closed-source models as well as open-source models, where they're really promoting that you can fine-tune your models on your data set to improve that performance. And that's where uh, we're seeing that uh, data is playing a huge part in it. Uh, so that's uh, that's where we see it. like uh, this is where uh, data is is essentially like uh, really really needed to have that performance.
0: Do you find that you know because there's fine-tuned models versus RAG or other techniques to get your data into the context window of a model, and then versus straight up zero, zero-shot learning and just like prompt engineering to get it to do what you want. Prompt engineering and zero-shot work. Pretty well. Otherwise, I think ChatGPT would not be as popular as it is. Obviously, having more specificity, adding more of your specialized data, in theory, could could get you way more performance out of your models. Do you think the future is more? And I guess one last piece is that you know historically we've had specialized models, right? We would build models for specific tasks. That was kind of how machine learning was historically done. The idea of using generic models for things. Kind of existed in NLP with like BERT and the same concepts used more specifically to, to NLP, but now it seems like that space of generic model use has really expanded. I guess, help me unpack that. Maybe firstly, do you think that there's a future of specialized models, or do you think it's all going to be generic models with a handful of fine tuned generic models? Like, do you think that the traditional models like building a random forest is still something that's going to happen in five years? I think yes, it'll still happen, especially
1: where the tasks are clearly defined, where the choices are clearly defined. And if you don't want to worry about hallucinations, if you don't want to worry about any the model straying away from from what you need it for, right? So that's where traditional machine learning models will still be used and are still being used inside industries.
0: And so then with the generic models and LLM use cases. Where does it make sense to fine tune? Should every model be fine tuned? Like, where, what is the future of how we think of LLMs? Is it going to be kind of a set of these specialized models, or are people going to really focus on building and using that generic model? I think it'll be a mixture of both. So, what I mean with that is today, the way
1: I see this happening is a lot of enterprises or a lot of businesses are using these closed source models, APIs. To test out use cases, what are the potential use cases I can solve with LLMs, figure out whether it'll give me a good enough ROI or business value or not, productivity boost and so on and so forth. But when it comes time for production, I think that's where they start to go for specialized models or fine-tuned models so that they can continually improve the performance, the efficiency, improve user experience Improve productivity, things like that. I think that's 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 my view on on how this field is evolving. How pe- people are using foundation models today.
0: Let's dive into privacy and encryption. I guess the the concept that you shared is this idea of having is it the data being encrypted being sent to the model or the model being encrypted sent to the data or both? Both. So
1: we're we're working on rather than bringing data to models, bring models to data. So that's, that's the key point. Encryption is one way to do it. We're not like name is probably a misnomer <laughs> from that perspective. It's not necessarily just encryption focused. We're using other technologies, but that's the business value is enabling models to go to data itself. And any enterprise data doesn't have to leave its environment. It can all be processed inside enterprise's own cloud on prem or private cloud. And the model is still secure, and the enterprise still knows everything about their AI assets, their, their models, where it's being processed, having, having that complete control.
0: So, I guess, I mean, I know encryption is not exactly the right word, but the idea is that you are bringing the model to the data. And I would assume that the assumption is hey, I train this model, I give it to you, I don't want you to have just unlimited access to the weights. So essentially what you're doing is finding a way to keep the weights hidden so that you can only use the model when I let you. Is that how I should think about it? For
1: external model vendors, yes. For anyone who's, who's giving the model to an enterprise, that's the value proposition to them or that's the, the business proposition to them. For enterprises themselves, it's, it could be these third party models that they're getting, but also internal models that they develop.
0: Why would that be relevant there?
1: So for internal models, it's not necessarily encryption of the model itself, but controls on the model. So if you look, think about compliance, the use case there is if any model has been trained on, let's say, European data, and the law says the data cannot move outside the EU, and by effect, the model should also not be moved outside the EU. And like, I think Meta was recently fined, or a few years ago, fined for this. So we can put in controls at the model where you can have AI sovereignty or model sovereignty being enforced on the models. So even if developers have access to the model artifacts, the model will only run when it's physically deployed inside a data center that's within the EU and not, not anywhere else. So these are the compliance things or from a security perspective as well, you want to ensure that like only authorized people have access to these models, right? internal or external models. So that's the value proposition to enterprises. It doesn't necessarily have to be for external model providers, but for any internal model as well.
0: Got it. And in that situation, is the model it I guess is it more of like a call it like a central hub, like a compliance tool, or is the kind of IP much more around the encryption piece, or is the encryption piece just like an add-on? So for
1: enterprises, encryption is not necessarily needed. It's it's more of a centralized hub for Knowing all their AI models and a compliance hub or security
0: hub. So, let's, I would love to expand on that more. Like, can you walk me through, like, of a large company you know of, worked with, whatever? How's that done today? Like, how are they keeping track of what models are, where they are? Like, help me. Like, can you illustrate the, the problem space for me that companies are facing?
1: Sure. So, I'll, I'll give you a use case that we're working on with, with a customer. And so what they're looking for is so they're a public company. They're looking at FedRAM compliance in itself. So what FedRAM compliance means is only a specific set of people who are authorized to work with the federal government should be able to access the specified models. They need to be present physically inside the US to access those models. Any data set that's being used for the models has to be. Have a signature that that's, that's correct uh, or be compliant to be used with those models. So there are along with a lot of other things, right? So the use case uh, that we're working with or working on with this customer is building these controls on the model specifically that any user or any employee, if they're traveling outside the US, they'll know, like the company knows or the customer knows that they're, they're not in the right place. If the models are being accessed, because these models can be deployed on their laptops as well when they're, when they're working on it. So the models stop working as soon as they cross, like physically cross the US as well. So all these assets only work when they're inside the US. And today these are fireable offenses and they're looking for ways to actually enforce it. These things are to your earlier point. How are these things being solved for today? Mostly by, I guess, like from what they've told us, is mostly by trust in itself. But given new regulations are coming on AI systems itself, not just on data, but specifically on AI systems and CISOs lines like next being on the line as well now, like with SEC investigating CISOs, like different CISOs to ensure that their right practices are being followed, these challenges are coming out from enterprises that they really need to know the security posture or compliance posture before these models and systems go into production. So that's where we're coming in.
0: It's really interesting to like hear how much of it is location based and how much of it is kind of based on the regulation. Is your sense that this will continue to expand, a kind of regulation around what can be used where? And it seems like it's expanded a lot recently. I'm curious to where you think things are going in that realm. Uh, regulations obviously has become kind of like a really hot topic around AI, especially with, with kind of Europe taking a very different stance, or the EU rather, taking a very different stance than other places. No one knows. But what's your kind of take on on where things are going in that sense?
1: I think people are worried. Like the biggest thing is, Generally, people don't understand how, how these models work. It's more out of fear that regulations are coming in. That's my view, my personal view, where they think that these LLMs would be like artificial general intelligence, which I don't think we're there yet, not in the next five years as well. But out of fear, people are thinking about regulations or bringing regulations. So in case those things come up, they'll, they'll have a way to regulate the technology. So that's, that's my view but but yeah i mean different countries different regulatory bodies are discussing it around the globe not just eu or us but india china brazil south africa specific nations in the eu as well not just for the eu ai act but regulations within member nations as well are being discussed just so that like they can control or or they know what's
0: happening do you have any thoughts on how companies can prepare for that? If there's, is there anything they can do? other than just kind of being ready to, to set up compliance rules? Based on our customer conversations, there are two, two parties in it.
1: One set of CISOs and chief compliance officers are really starting with a very restricted sandbox environment, saying you'll only use like very minimal use cases and, and very specific models within the sandbox. And as and when regulations become more clear, we'll allow you to expand the sandbox environment. Whereas other, other companies that you're talking to are saying go berserk and we'll, we'll figure out what happens or how do we bring in regulations uh, once those come in. The thing with regulations is they take a long time to enforce. They take a long time to be discussed and even longer to enforce. So that's another thing that is. Keeping enterprises from pushing these models into production, in my view, like in based on our, our conversations is there's a reason why everyone's saying it'll be one to two years before these models go fully into production
0: coming back to like compliance and governance, so we've had the problem of data compliance data governance for a lot longer than we've had model governance for maybe starting first. Are these things different? Like, Is it different to govern a model than it is to govern data? Why come you can't use the same methodologies and tools? Why does a model need a special layer?
1: I mean, they're similar, but the the difference that's coming in is while data was being used not necessarily for just machine learning models, but in in quote-unquote regular normal software, algorithmic software itself, With LLMs, they're essentially replacing that software itself. Rather than being an add-on to your product, they're becoming the product. So that's where regulating models is becoming different than regulating data in itself. So that's, that's one view. And from another perspective, when you talk about hiring, when you talk about education, the use of models or AI in these scenarios... Is much more different because these are directly affecting human lives. You need to understand how these models work. You need to understand if there was bias or fairness, things like that, that people have already been thinking about. But from, from LLM perspective, you, you need to ensure that there's, you're not sending any private data. You're not letting the model decide how the world works. There's some, like you, you have humans behind the models who can, who can think about how the world works.
0: How tied do you think governance and compliance is to explainability and hallucinations and things like that? I think it's
1: very intertwined, especially governance in itself, right? One aspect of governance is fairness and bias and those metrics. With LLMs, hallucinations have become a huge problem. There were, like just in December, I think, there were memes floating around where I think it was Chevrolet or some company who put on, put on a chatbot and it was recommending Tesla right, that buy a Tesla or buy it for $1 or whatever, right? So, like, these are really reputational risks, legal risks for these enterprises, right? And the challenge <laughs> that needs to be solved.
0: Do you think that, like, is the solution here compliance tools us to understand, like, what's being used, where, et cetera, kind of like some of the stuff you're talking about, how much of it do you think is going to come down to explainability? Like, do you think that we need explainability or some form? Because I guess maybe I have the assumption that hallucinations are uh, kind of an unsolvable problem. Do you buy that first? LLMs as they are, I don't think you can necessarily solve them unless you essentially give the LLM like a rip out 90% of its brain. Yeah, so
1: that's a very interesting question, right? So if you think from why an LLM was built or are being built, is they're essentially mimicking humans, right? And as humans, you can't stop them from saying what they can. You're absolutely right that it's not necessarily possible to stop hallucinations from an LLM as well, right? They can speak whatever, or they can generate whatever. You're not building internal mechanisms to to stop hallucinations. And the point is, can you build stuff around the models, like similar to guardrails, around the model itself that can either detect hallucination with respect to the context that you're providing it or with respect to the view of the world that you're providing it with. So I think that's where hallucinations would come in, right? Or or be stopped or be detected or prevented. It's like uh, you start as a kindergarten, graduate, high school and undergrad and and graduate studies and so on and so forth. Just making it more and more specialized.
0: And I guess that's, maybe part of what I'm getting at, it sounds like based on like this conversation so far, maybe projecting a bit of like things I've learned, it seems like maybe the the hallucinations are unsolvable. You can continuously push the problem down. It's almost like a race condition, right? Like if you have a complex enough piece of software, like it has race conditions, like period. Like there's almost no chance that you're completely, even the Linux kernel like has surely has some edge cases where you can make it, do things it shouldn't do. But the whole idea is like, can you almost catch those things? Can you make those things so that when they are caught, they can be easily fixed? Can you like maybe limit the pain caused by those sorts of things? Like you will never fully fix it, but you can kind of maybe put enough armor around it where it's not as painful or the most obvious, like like the recommending a Tesla, if you're Chevy, like those sorts of things, you can kind of catch So it sounds like almost like there's like two parts to it, which one is like just the guardrails itself, like putting together rules or or logic to be able to start catching these things before it causes issues. And then I guess the other piece is just having some form of basic compliance and auditing of just knowing what's being used, where Where are you allowed to use LLMs, what sort of like use cases maybe should it not be allowed to, what regions should you not be using it in, et cetera. And I guess if you tie both of those together, it provides the armor you need to be able to iterate on the actual performance in LLM without having to worry about what happens if, not necessarily not worrying about what happens, but just like kind of having some more protection against doing really dumb things in edge cases or against actors who are trying to screw you over. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree with that because uh, like one of our,
1: <laughs> one of the customers there. are, their words were, "We're trying to make the system idiot-proof, right? Where people know that they shouldn't be entering credit card numbers or SSNs, but they still do." It's a very simplistic example, but that goes into hallucinations and goes into like all the different challenges that come with LLM. So it's 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 that.
0: Yeah, it's like there's two parts to it. One is I think what you're saying, which is just like getting like I guess idiot-proofing. I'll just use your words. And uh, the other piece of it is. Having worked in Recommender Systems, one statement which I've I've always loved is we talk there was a time where GANs were like the coolest thing ever. And someone I I knew in Recommender Systems said, Yeah, I mean the greatest adversarial network ever created is like a million human minds that are financially incentivized to break your system. So like Google search like has is probably the greatest GAN of all time, except it's not generative, it's just like constantly dealing with like adversarial networks trying to like gamify their results, same recommend their systems. And I think that we're kind of falling into the same problem statement of LLMs, which is that you can do a lot to just catch the basic things, but humans, a lot of people who are incentivized to make your LLM look dumb, that's like the worst kind of Adversial opponent to go up against because there's certainly something you didn't think about and if it can be done it will be found. It's kind of an insane promise yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. statement. Yeah, yeah. What things do you yourself you read to keep track of kind of what's going on or how, how are you it just feels like there's also like a fire hose of information about things. Like how do you keep on top of it?
1: Multiple things. I try to spend a couple of hours a day reading into what new regulations are coming up? What are the, how different people from different different areas are thinking about, not just from technology, but also from business, keeping up to date with like how thought leaders from politics or technology, business owners, small business owners are thinking about using LLMs and AI within their systems. That's, that's mostly it.
0: Do you drop some names or channels or things like just like if someone's listening right now and they're like, hey, like, who should I be following? But I'm not following. Or who should I? What should I be reading? Is there any maybe just even one that you really admire or think is a good one to keep up with things? Yeah. So
1: I mean, people like Andrew Eng or Yan Lagoon, like these are obvious names. But also, like I have a couple of people who I know in the Indian cybersecurity, like Indian government cybersecurity arm, where they keep sharing articles, things like that. Those are two names that I regularly follow, but otherwise, social media.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the 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 whatever you know kind of social media you use is like a great. It's how I'm keeping up with things. There's no other way to. It feels like it's just lots of information. It feels like most of the breakthroughs are hap- like are happening and being shared in like small communities and networks way before they kind of bubble up to big news. And if you're trying to keep up with what's the latest and greatest, I feel like you kind of have to find the, the creators, like who's actually building things. And I think also like the CCOs and executives are kind of a different perspective or different way of, you just want to get all the different perspectives around the alums because everyone's thinking about, it. there's not one part of a company that isn't, hasn't at least thought about, hey, how does this change things for us?
1: I mean, one, one actually great resource that I read every day is And again, obvious, but hacker news where there are more developers are they thinking about integrating these LLMs into different applications as well. What are the different applications being thought about for LLMs as well? Challenges, both from infrastructure and otherwise, or data side. What are the performance metrics that they're seeing for specific use cases? A lot of people discuss that on hacker news as well. Awesome.
0: This has been great. I've really enjoyed talking. It's like a perspective we don't talk a ton about it in the podcast, but I think it's like so important, like governance, compliance, anyone who's working in a big company. It's like, unfortunately, you think about it more than you think about actually building models sometimes. So thanks again for hopping on and sharing the information. We'll include a link to your socials and to the company. So that if anyone wants to follow along or reach out, we'll be able to. Thanks for hopping on. Thank you.